Kia ora church. Awesome to be here. Um, a few weeks ago, Sam asked me to pick a parable and prepare a sermon on it. Some weeks ago. Um, so I went home and sketched out what I thought was a, a decent plan for a sermon. Um, and um, then, as we know, Sam got really excited about politics. And I mean, I'm sure it was, it was um, part of the plan. But um, So that some weeks ago, I sort of prepared some of this stuff. And so now I'm into it. Um, and... So my thoughts have sort of blossomed and grown. I've tried in the last few days to try and stitch together the things I feel like God's been saying to me recently with the sermon plan I had from a while ago. So if you get what feels like a little bit of a disjointed um, sermon today, that's on Sam. Um, <laughs> can we, um, Steve, is the, is the slide thing working? Oh, beautiful. Cool. Okay, so my favorite parable would be the parable of the wise and foolish builders. I think it's my favorite anyway. Let me read the, um, the words. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who, put, who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Okay, so one of the reasons I chose this parable was because of when I was at Sunday school, it was the one that had the most um, cool illustration. Um, the lady brought in a huge big bowl and put a like a like a brick, I think, or something like that uh, there, and then put this little wooden house on it and tipped a jug of water carefully on the house, and it didn't knock over. The foundations stayed strong, uh, and then she did the same with like a, um, a a base of sand, and the house fell down. Right, So it's a very easy one for us to understand. And parables are sort of beautiful like that, how they worm into our imagination and they can kind of tickle us in the ribs a bit and then they stab you in the heart, you know? <laughs> and so um, this is a really good one for us. Um, it's a great one for us to, to understand. Um, it's got some issues in terms of Sam's series and that it's not technically a parable, but I'll get onto that shortly. Um, it is, a, I believe, a parabolic story. Slightly different. Um, the other reason I quite like it is because um, we bought a house that was built on sand um, <laughs> in Christchurch, and it didn't go down well. Um, like it, it was built a few hundred metres from the river, and it was on sand that would have been deposited there a few hundred years prior to uh, when it got constructed. And so when the earthquakes came and shook it to bits, it didn't do too well. So I suppose there's a couple of reasons why this um, parable, parabolic story works for me. Okay, it's considered also as part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is really, and it's really the last sort of summing up story in the Sermon on the Mount. It finishes um, a great set of kind of these statements, these parabolic statements in which a set of contrasts have been made. So the story comes right after the end of Jesus' statements about the narrow and the wise gates, the true and the false prophets, the true and false disciples, and then it finally finishes with these statements about the wise and the foolish builders. And so without going into all the other principles that Jesus mentions, um, I want to focus on this really wonderful idea that Jesus taps into here. Um, and it's simply this, that Jesus holds the true wisdom. 
And so it's also worth noticing in the context of Matthew's gospel that Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience and does a really swell job of establishing, firstly, Jesus' lineage as a Jewish man, a descendant of Abraham, um, a descendant of David, a descendant of Solomon. So he talks about all these guys who are there. Um, He then stands on the mountain and gives uh, the law, indicating to any Jewish audience that he's also the new Moses. And so there's all these great figures of faith that Matthew is sort of winking at and saying, hey, Jesus is... Jesus is uh, the Messiah, and he's establishing uh, himself as the new lawgiver, establishing himself um, as the fulfillment of um, the Abrahamic promises. He's establishing himself um, as the new wisdom. And so um, Jesus surpasses uh, all of the heroes of faith that have preceded him. And so then he finishes with this and sort of, sort of says to us all, you can build your life on the words of Jesus because nothing else will do. And so for those children of Abraham, uh, their racial identity isn't sufficient. For uh, those adherents of Moses, um, the legalism isn't going to cut it. For those followers of the wisdom literature, the, philosopher, the philosophy won't do. And it's only the words of Jesus who will do, that will do. And so I suppose for us, the good news is, if we build our lives on Jesus, it will never be shaken. So there's also this really serious element here, this heaviness that I don't think we can skip, and is quite contextual uh, in our day, because um, there's probably not been a year where our lives have been shaken together corporately as much as 2020. And I also think that individually, you know, people have faced just horrible stuff this year. You know, so many people in this church have just faced really rough, really tough stuff. The storms of life will come. They will shake us to the core. They will test our foundations. We've had tragedies. We've had uncertainty. We've had relationship hardships. We've had economic hardships. Um, And I believe through that that Jesus is inviting us to check our foundations. It's inviting us going forwards to look at how we build and to make sure that we are building our own personal lives upon the words of Jesus. And collectively, I think the season that the church is in is phenomenal. There's no time that the church community... Oh, well, there probably has been other big political moments where the church has been persecuted nearly off the face of the earth. But uh, recent history, there's no time the church community has faced these same sorts of stresses the COVID lockdowns and the the essentially churches not being able to meet together, the changing um, nature of how people have responded to that, the the broken plans that we've all had, the um, delayed dreams, and and for a lot of us, much worse crises. All of these have posed real questions and have asked real questions for church leaders around the globe about who the church is, what it does, and I guess we've all been tested like at no other time. All right, and so I want to say through that, I think that Jesus is asking us to check our foundations and also inviting us to look at how we've built and how we're to build going forwards. And I realize for some of you guys, it may be too soon to even be thinking about building. You're like, whatever, I just want to grab hold of some flotsam and and try and stay with my head above water. 
So my encouragement to you is that if any small way in the swirly sort of mess of life, you know, reach for the solid rock that's Jesus and know that he is truly safe. And if you can just today get a little toe hold on that, then cool. All right. I had also this pondering that maybe like the Jews of this audience, that, that the church has tried different moments where we've tried to follow a very legalistic structure like Moses, or we've tried to rally around a political moment like Abraham's descendants, or we've tried to be dispensers of wisdom like Solomon. And so maybe, maybe the church, like no other time, is being called to come back to its identity uh, to build on the words of Jesus. That's just a little bit of an aside, but I did think it was curious as I was reading through that. I thought, man, the church has tried these other aspects. All right, so what I want to start with is just, just some loose principles around how I think it's good to build. Uh, as Bay Vineyard, these are sort of loose in general, and then I'll kind of get the shovel and the pick out and the crowbar and poke around and see if I can't find some, some rocks, um, some of the stubborn rocks that, that might exist in your life that holds you back from Jesus. So hopefully that's the ride we're all on. Cool. So firstly, I want to say this. Um, oh, there's my outline of the, what is it, five points? There were six or seven at one point. So, yeah, okay, cool. All right, so that's where we're going. So number one, don't build on your leaders, but build like your leaders. Um, and I say this because it can be easy to build on leaders, and then uh, I think Jesus constantly, and the Bible constantly calls us to build instead on the foundation of him. Paul says this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so um, I've been involved in church for a long time and I have noticed this. I want to tell a story about a friend I had. Um, I've been involved in church both serving and leading and I've led a variety of little things in my life and I feel even in those small roles of leadership, I understand in a small way what Paul is saying. Please don't imitate everything about my life. Right? I'll get it wrong and I'll disappoint in ways that others you know, that it's just, it's, I'm not God. Our leaders aren't God. So um, I had a friend who was, this was when I was about 18, who greatly loved an American preacher. Um, the American preacher claimed to be very close to God. Um, he had apparently, I think he'd visited heaven when he was eight. Um, he flew around the world in his private jet, I think, just presumably to just remain a bit closer to God. Um <laughs> He was really angry as a preacher. He was really strong and stroppy. He was brash. He prayed defiantly against all sorts of things. And so um, my friend used to utilize his car stereo to really crank this preacher up. And so I'd be able to hear him from a couple of blocks away, um, hooning down the road. And I would know it was my friend because I could hear this American accent, you know, casting out demons of rock music and the Jezebel spirit and stuff. So... Um, so my friend really loved this guy. He wanted to go to a school of the spirit. Um, and it was basically his life goal. He wanted to be just like him. And his friend even took, I mean, his, his voice even took on this guy's sort of accent and timber as he, as he prayed uh, and cast out the spirit of Jezebel. Um, and then the inevitable happened with this guy. And the guy 
fell badly. The preacher was exposed for having an affair with his youth pastor. And so this preacher who had preached fire and brimstone about sexual immorality was in fact struggling with sexual immorality. And so my friend was devastated and it just absolutely rocked his faith. Absolutely. He was, it was actually real grief and it was sort of sad to watch. And so I want to talk to you about the fact that, because uh, at that, that moment I was like, man, I'd never want to do that with my leaders because it's, it's just unwise. So if a leader is encouraging you to build your life on them, then be very weary. Follow the leaders who are urging you to follow Christ. As Paul says, imitate your leaders in as much as they're imitating Jesus and in how they're imitating Jesus. So quickly, I want to talk to you about Sam and Jim because I think this is <coughs> only fear. Now, I really love them. Um, the other verse that I've got up here is remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so Sam and Jim both are incredibly charismatic, gifted people. They've both got beautiful gifts in speaking and persuading. And so these gifts are so often used by people who will be able to kind of draw people to themselves. And I just want to honour Sam and Jean because they're so good at using these skills and gifts to say, hey, look to Jesus. And so they do this all the time. They do this all the time from the front, and they do this all the time personally. They admit weaknesses um, and vulnerabilities, and I think that's so precious. And so in that, here's some things that I like to imitate about my leaders. So they feel their feelings. They're committed to owning their emotions and being truthful about them. This is tricky but necessary. And it's such a blessing to have leaders who talk about their weaknesses, their vulnerabilities, the fact that they too need prayer, that they too have needed counselling. It's amazing. So they're committed to growing an authentic Christian community. So their vision for the church is a willing, mutually submitted community of Jesus lovers who really want to see Jesus celebrated all the time. And so their own personal habits sort of foster relationships of authentic Christian community. Uh, And I've also noted that they're committed to growing in their own Christ-likeness. So Sam's ongoing testimony is that he wants a faith like his grandfather. A real encouragement the other day was when he talked to me about the fact that He's just really looking forward to growing into a, a sort of an old, sort of <laughs> happy, but a little bit surly old man who's, who's filled with the life of Jesus. And that's a cool thing to have somebody my age talk to me about and make me think, yeah, that's a cool vision. And so we can never put the weight and expectation that they're perfect on them. Sam's advertised that quite well, <laughs> I think. When he asked us to start the, start the church with him, he said, man, we're going to let you down and disappoint you. And, you know, they have. (laughs) But, like, I mean, this is the beautiful thing, is that they've said, don't build on us. Like, we want to follow Jesus. And so those times haven't, you know. So I just want to say, under their leadership, I've realized if my faith's going to be meaningful, it needs to be based on Jesus. So imitate your leaders and their way of life. Don't build on them. All right. Secondly, don't build on others, but build with others. Um, You can't build your faith alone. Um, And so at times I'm guilty of leaning really hard on other people. I've needed others' approval, attention, and validation. Um, At times I've sort of had 
of needed other people's prayer lives, right? Um, but you need to get people around you who are committed to building a life together with Jesus. Like community is essential. Um, so build your own life on Jesus, but together we collectively are building a church on Jesus. And so the idea of this church being a building is something that um, is a beautiful and common vision throughout Scripture, um, throughout the New Testament, um, like in verses like we're going to look at, First Peter, and we get these beautiful um, images. So this next one is, you come to him, the living stone rejected by man, a man but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So collectively, as smaller stones, we're being built together, and we have this image of us being built together as a a larger house. And here's what he goes on to say in verse 9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. There's... No other organization on earth like the, like the Christian church. There is a calling and a beauty to the church that is phenomenal. Um, goes on to say, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among uh, the among others, that though they, are, although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And so I think the cool thing about this verse is that it helps us to see that the challenge is to build on the foundation of Jesus as individuals, but collectively as well, we're to build together. And that's quite inspiring and exciting. Okay. So if you're a person, as well as if you're a, well, I'm presuming you're persons, <laughs> you never know, I always had those nagging doubts ever since the Men in Black movies. <laughs> anyway, um, if you, <laughs> it is you as a person, as well as you as Bay Vineyard, or as an upper click group, or as a home church, you are being built together. And so find people who you can build an authentic, honest, God-honoring life with. Uh, and so... We always say this, if you're not in a home church, we want you to be in one. If you're grumbling about home churches, if there's not enough and you'd like more, um, consider who would be great at running it. Maybe maybe you would. All right. And I, I guess this is what I'm going to go on to say. Maybe I should have said this from the start. But if we're to grow, we need to foster a commitment to the rhythms and the relationships that will serve us through the tough moments. And so I want to say this, well done for getting to church today. Um, it's showing a commitment to gathering together. It's showing a commitment to, to being part of the church that God's building. And so I think that's, I think that's awesome. Um, I think Charlotte, a few years ago, Charlotte and I made, made a decision that we wanted to sort of, um, a few years ago, probably when we started Bay Vineyard, we had to come to church. Um, but prior to that, we thought we were going to take coming to church a bit more seriously than we did. And the reasons for that is that if we wanted to build God's kingdom, turning up was just like a really great way to start. Um, Keith Green used to say, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more, going to the, any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. 
And that's a good point. But I, I guess turning up does say you're committed to this beautiful journey and to this vision of God building us together. Um, so, yeah, cool. Find friends, find relationships, build together, uh, and, and be committed to that. Now, um, now I'm getting into some personal stuff uh, about our own personal lives. So this is the thing I want to go on to talk about. Don't build what's easy, build what's important. And so Jesus says this parable right after he has talked about the wide path that leads to destruction and the narrow path that leads to life. And so there are many things we can decide to do um, that are easy, but ultimately won't be that significant. And so if you figure out something's precious, you'll go after that thing. And so if we take Jesus' word seriously, we shift our priorities from building our own kingdom to building God's kingdom. Jesus goes on to discuss a few parables. He talks about someone who finds a buried treasure hidden in a field, then decides regardless of the cost, he'll purchase the entire field. He talks about a lost coin and the housewide search that takes place. He talks about a search that takes place for a valuable pearl. And all of these things, he talks about the great cost to retrieve these valuable things. And so at the end of your life, what things will be of the most value? And are you building into those things now? And the other day sitting in church, um, I was thinking about my sermon. Again, I've had weeks and weeks and weeks to think about it. Um, Anyway, I was in church thinking about my sermon, and I was thinking about this weird moment. I can't believe I'm doing this because I think if you have been through the 90s in church, then then William Wallace will be familiar in probably most of the sermons. Um, This this, um, this moment where he says to his soldiers, run and you'll live at least for a while, but one day lying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all of your days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and to tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take... Maybe I'll get Nan to finish this one. (laughs) They'll never take our freedom. And so I really love this moment in the film. Yeah. And so, uh, Dennis, do you know that quote off by heart? I would have thought so. Um, It's a beautiful moment. Like, we get... We have freedom and opportunity at this point. And I guess the big question through the movie is, what will you do with that freedom? Like, what are you... What are we doing with, our, with these moments that we have? And so I suppose it's a difficult topic in some ways. Um, because at some point, uh, it's worth noting that uh, one day we'll all die. And it's worth noting that in order to really value and savour the life we've, we have now, um, takes reflection. And so um, that means turning away from a life often of comfort and ease and following Jesus, which comes with costly decisions and costly habits. And so it's worth asking what will we regret? What moments or what days would you want to come back and and make the most of? What people would you invest more in? And what would you have wanted to pass on to others? I was reading about the regrets of um, people, old people, uh, in palliative care. Uh, and uh, uh, Bronnie Weir wrote this book on this. 
And top regrets have very little to do with things like possessions and far more to do with uh, relationships um, and character. And so the top two are, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And number two is, I, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And so for most of us, we're like, okay. But, um, I mean, that comes with it with the cost. And so Jesus says this, anyone who wants to save his life will lose it, but anyone who loses their life for my sake will find it. And for what does and for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? And so great saints have worked out long ago that the truly important things in this life are God and others. Um, Paul writes of this and says, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ in me. Cool. So that's Again, this is the bit that's getting a little more intense. So uh, moving on, don't build up. Oh, sorry, not don't build up. Of course build up. But as you build up, build down. And I was trying to work out how best to say it, but I think I've worded that right. Oh, no, I haven't. I've worded it right in my notes, but not up there. I'll explain why in a moment. Anyway, this is, this is the famous Leaning Tower of Pisa. If you've ever... Like I've, has anyone ever watched James Acaster on Netflix, the comedian? Good, I'm just checking that you haven't. Man, he's funny and relatively clean, so so funny. He's just a quirky genius that has this whole section about this. That Anyway, it's an inside joke, and I'm the only one inside. So, <laughs> uh, Funny, though. Whew. Anyway... Um, this was constructed in the 12th century. And even during construction, it began to lean due to the soft ground it was on. The lean worsened over time till by 1990, they closed the tower for 11 years. I think they needed to put 800 ton, uh, tons of lead counterweights on one side of it, and they removed almost 40 cubic metres of soft soil on the other side, and a little bit by little bit, where the soft soil was, the lean has corrected. It was nearly uh, 5%, uh, sorry, 5 degree lean, and it's come back to 4 degrees. A little bit of, that's just some fun facts about the Lean Tower of Pisa. But that's like, a, I think, nearly 10 years of um, construction that, that needed to take place. Um, and so I, I want to say this, by all means, build a big, flourishing life. But as you build up, you'll also note that there is a need to build down. Um, okay. So building your foundations requires you to spend time with Jesus and to reflect on his words and to practice his words and to allow him to continue to do a deeper work in you. Um, and it's clear in the verse that I read uh, that it's not just reading the words of Jesus and thinking about them, but it's putting them into practice. And mainly the words that he's asking us to put in practice well, it's significant, I think, that it's right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which deals so much with character stuff, which deals so much with heart stuff, which deals so much with um, issues of our attitudes and our internal world. He's saying, put these words into practice. Be like me. Think like me. Build with me. Okay, and so, um, yes, good. I also wanted to say this, though, that transformation doesn't just occur by doing nothing and sitting around and waiting to to be like God until you can do anything, right? And so um, some people have famously called that uh, whatever, uh, and 
paralysis by analysis as people sit and reflect and build their lives uh, but don't do much with it. Sometimes transformation begins with us being put out of our comfort zone and Jesus does this through his disciples where he says, hey guys, cool, I want you to take nothing with you, you know, don't even take your sandals, um, take no money and go into the towns. And of course people get pushed out, out of their comfort zone because in that there's transformation as well. And so sometimes we have leadership opportunities, sometimes we have service opportunities, sometimes we just have the, the situation where we can invest in love in people. And it's an important thing for us to go, okay, those things can be transformative. But I suppose that's why I'm trying to word it this way, and trickily, this tension of, as you kind of build up and do those external things, there's also an invitation to go deeper with God. All right. And then finally is this, and, and here's where I finally I'm going to get a bit personal and cool. So um, I want to get on to my last point. Don't build on this world, but build on Jesus. That is the main point of this whole thing. First Corinthians says this, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I'll frustrate. And then it goes on to say, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. So we are constantly being invited to listen to two competing wisdoms. And at this stage of my life, I constantly fall uh, into the temptation to listen to the wisdom of this world. Uh, Like the foolish man, I can begin to put my trust in the things of this world. Uh, I turned 40 a couple of months ago, and I had to take stock of my life. Now, by the way, any of you who are like, that's another one of Luke's little jokes. He's clearly much older than 40. (laughs) Ha ha. It was a couple of months ago. Don't be mean, all right? Forty's like a little death, right? Your youth is gone. You take photos of it and you get them out and everybody stands around and talks about it and has little savouries, right? So there's that moment which is a wee bit sad. And you shed a few stories, you know, and... But it's also like this little resurrection as well as you look forward to kind of the, the glory days of, you know, Muscle Lake. Um, <laughs> and, the, and the hope and promise that stretch ahead, right? So as I reflected at 40 on my life thus far, honestly, I, I was like, I don't have a boat. And, and that nagged at me. You know, there's things that you're kind of like, I was hoping that I'd be... Really wanted a Prado. <laughs> uh, but the things I was most proud of, despite looking at those things, I was most proud of was family and my friends and my church. And I'd honestly say one of the coolest things that I've done was, I, I guess, answer God's invitation to help start this thing and see so many people answer God's invitation to come to this church. So that's epic. Um, and then, but there's days I feel restless and I get worried about whether I've got enough money or possessions or achievements. And I'd say that would be the same for most of us. And so in these moments, I can either listen to the words of Jesus, take solace in him, or I can listen to the words of this world. And the world whispers through up to 10,000 advertisements a day, you don't have enough. You need a better house and a boat as well as a quad bike and a car that doesn't need repairs all the time. You need more stuff. And this whisper becomes pretty loud. 
And if I'm not careful, I begin to repeat it to myself that stuff will make me happy. And experiences. I want experiences too. I want to look at even more photos of myself cradling beautiful trout um, gently and lovingly because um, intimacy with trout will make me happy. Amen. And, well, <laughs> Blair's, Blair's calling a timeout. <laughs> and overseas holidays. Um, but the word, words of our culture are pretty loud. Experiences will make us happy. And control will make us happy. And success will make us happy. And achievement will make us happy. And we need to be very careful about what we allow our hearts to love. If we take a really good look... Sorry, if we take a really good thing and we make it a God thing, then quite simply, we commit idolatry. <laughs> and here, I say that with a chuckle because it's a heavy words and I'm trying to, trying to tone it down a bit. But the, I guess the Bible's wisdom on this is in the book of Zephaniah. The idols speak deceitfully. The diviners or the prophets see visions that lie and they tell dreams that are false and they give comfort in vain. Therefore the people wander like sheep that are oppressed for a lack of a shepherd. Zephaniah 10 verse 2. And so I know that when I'm craving more stuff, when I'm living a life of constant comparison, this is not being a wise builder who's building on the foundations of Jesus. It's a foolish man who's listening to the promises of this world and to the idols of consumerism and greed. And so this is a cool little challenge. That idol that you love, it doesn't love you back. False gods don't love you. Idols don't keep their promises, and anything you worship and build your life on other than God will suck the life out of you and destroy you. I'm convinced that the reason there's so much shallow Christianity in our culture is because many people never displace the idolatry in their lives with Jesus, but instead simply bring in Jesus as an add-on to their life, keeping their idolatry firmly in the center. That's a bit spicy, hey? But the words of this world are enticing and persistent and untrustworthy. The dreams of this world, they promise so much that it never will give you comfort. That idol that you love, it does not love you back. And so you've just got to scroll through Instagram to see how oh, sorry, Instagram to see how much you don't have. And the subtext is this: if you only had this, you'd be happy, you'd be comforted, you'd be free. But when I worship Jesus and I spend time in his presence, he begins to point these things out to me. And it's not comfortable. But if we're building our lives on the promises of success without building our lives on the words of Jesus, we are foolish and will not stand the pressures of the world. So God invites us to carefully build our foundations on his word. Okay. Um, I'll finish with this. I was reading through Psalm 23 the other day, and when I read about David, who was declaring who uh, God was in his life, it was awesome. The Lord is my good shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, we know these, well, if you don't know these verses, they're great verses to know. He leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. So David's perspective is a glimpse into the mindset of a man whose foundation is strong and who is able to see by building down um, 
who God is around him. Even when surrounded by enemies, his focus is not on the enemies, but on the table that God's prepared for him. And so I, I think I was having a hard week when I was reading this, but my thoughts were filled with the thoughts of things going wrong. And so I failed to see the table. I failed to see the generous provision of God in the middle of these hard things. And then even more personally, David's able to see that his cup overflows. His individual portion is more than enough. He's got more than enough. And so I felt this echoing, niggling question for a few weeks now. God challenging me with this. What's in your cup? What's in your cup? There's so much not in my cup that I worry about. But what's in your cup? That becomes a choice. And I can meditate constantly about things not in my control, and I could worry about the stuff I haven't bought yet or haven't or hasn't happened yet, or I can focus on all the things that I'm yet to, to do. And yet God asks, what's in your cup? What have you been given? And so I'm going to mix two metaphors here somewhat awkwardly, but how are you wisely building with what's in your cup, with what you've been given? Uh, and so um, here's, here, here's how it looks to me. Here's my application of it. So what's in my cup? And I have had to think this. I've got two wonderful boys. And the more I think about them, the more I see that they're such a blessing to me. You know, um, Their personalities, their talents, their quirks. And I really thank God for them. And as I see this blessing and gift that they are to me, I also see that they're an area in which I need to build. I need to actively father them. So I begin to choose the important, not the easy. A really easy way to parent, if you haven't figured this out yet, it is very easy, is to plop your kid in front of a screen and then you can focus on your own stuff. And surely they'll turn out okay, right? Better yet, maybe they'll become pro gamers uh, and then they'll pay for me to fish. (laughs) But if I want to consider not just what's easy but what's important, I have to ask myself, how will I curate and give experiences and lessons and gifts to them that will remain with them for life? What will be in their emotional and spiritual toolbox when they leave my care? And so will I say no to the demands of play and work and career and even church in order to actively say yes to raising them? And then to do this, I need to dig down to build as a father... I've actually had to stop and to reflect. And the truth is, at times, I feel quite inadequate as a dad. And I get a bit overwhelmed with this at times. I'm affected by my own experience as a child and by the times where my own parents might not have got it 100% right. And I need to hear the invitations from God around having to dig down a bit. So these moments of going deep can sometimes reveal stuff that can only be sorted through counselling, prayer, or confession and can only be revealed through the words of Jesus as he ministers to my soul. And then I need to actually do it, to build it, to to plan, to implement, to sacrifice time and convenience for the greater glory of raising kids well. And so for a father to raise his children well is such a beautiful vision. And, And that's in my cup, you know? I have that in front of me. And so, church, what's in your cup as individuals? What's God given to us that we need to faithfully steward? 
What are we passionate about? What do we have influence over? And so let's not look at the bits that we've got no say in it. Let's look at, you know, rather than grumbling about a politician's mistakes or the council's dirty water, what can we sort out in our own lives? What's in our cup? It can be much easier to complain about the speck in someone else's eye, Jesus says, than it is to remove the log in our own. And so... um, I want to say that to us also as a church. And I want to invite people to, to do this uh, with each other uh, as well. Uh, sorry, not to do this with each other. I want to invite you guys um, to prayer and to have a moment um, to reflect on what is in our cup and what ways do we need to build down? What, do we, what may have been exposed this year uh, in us that we start to go, I'm not sure I want to be like that. I'm not sure... Um, that I'm proud of the person who I'm um, becoming and I want to I stop and check and think about how I can build a life on the foundations of Jesus um, that I won't regret at all. All right. So here's three things I want to ask you guys to, to pray for, uh, pray about and we'll just probably, you guys can stay where you like and um, uh, just have a moment to think. So I want to offer prayer for people, and I want us to think about this. What is what are some of the, the wrong stuff that we've been building on, or the wrong ways that we've been building? Are there things that we need to repent of? Because like foolish builders, we've put our trust and security in promises of this world or of others, of leaders, not in Jesus. Have we reflected the self-focused life of this world and not the others-focused life of Christ? So there's that one. There's that bit that we can check and say, actually, God, I've got that wrong. Number two, I want to invite you to ask God about what's in your cup, whether it's family or children or friends or church or work. Let's take some moments to pray and see what God's given us today. And then finally, um, for some of us, we may have been stirred for some time and have not known how to um, make progress on this. But for some of us, we've got life callings to things or we've got niggles that won't go away. We've got areas that we know we're to build into. And so for some of you, I'd love you to, to come up and to say to me or to any of the team up the front, here's an area that I think I'm supposed to build into in my life. And I want to say that I think God's put this in my cup. I think God's calling me into this area to build. And I want prayer because if I don't tell people, I'll just keep ignoring it. And so if there is a commitment or an area of you want to look to, then I encourage you um, to do that. And for anything else, if you have not ever said that you want to build your life on Jesus and this is the first time for you, then I'd invite you to to turn to him. He is the only true foundation.